a greyhound to the county line. She's reading Marx and Lenin all the time. She says, Jesus freak, you're such a fool. I say, Satan loves you, thinks you're cool. She's a socialist of the highest degree. I'm a communist. Her mother hates me. You're an anarchist. You don't want anything from me. I'm a Satanist. At least that's what I think I might be. At least that's what I think I might be. That's this. That's Joni. And this is Speak of the Devil. And it's been a while. It's been a really long time. Yeah. Um, it turns out that being in seminary was more time-consuming than I expected somehow. And, you know, also running the church. Yep. And moving across the country. Yeah, you know, just, just little things like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're still here. We're still at it. We're still satanic. We're still queer. Yes, we're still here. We're still queer. Sorry. No, you're <laughs> fine. Um, and yes, it has really been a long time since you folks got a podcast from us, and I apologize for that. But hopefully that's going to change real soon, uh, since I am graduating. I will put a sound effect in there. Something like, yay. I was thinking one of those, like, noisemakers that goes pree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to put in a sound effect. I think that that was optimal. Um, <clears throat> anyway, though, uh, funny enough, this particular podcast episode happens to be um, my final project yes. for one of my classes. So I hope you folks like it, and I hope even more fervently that my professor likes it. Yep. Um, hello, Dr. Cordova Cuero. Most important <laughs> member of our audience right now. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you very much for the lovely queer liberation theology class. It's been really great. You know, the, this assignment was to well it seemed fairly broad and hopefully making a podcast episode is not an overly broad interpretation of what was assigned but um we were prompted to convey some of the concepts from the course to a lay audience and i was a little bit stumped about how i wanted to do that and then we kind of sat down and we asked ourselves, how do we convey theological concepts to a lay audience? Well, we do sermons. We also do podcasts. We do silly podcasts. And honestly, I think we get more in-depth in the podcasts than we do in the sermons. Because, yes. well, you know what? We don't want to be the pastors who do the three-hour-long sermon. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I, I did. I started writing a sermon about this topic and then decided that it wanted to be a podcast yeah um so today we're talking about tongji theology mm -hmm. which i'm probably not pronouncing correctly i apologize mm -hmm. 
But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing my best with pronunciation here in this episode, folks. As am I, and we are so sorry. <laughs> yes. So, Tongxi theology is basically queer Chinese liberation theology. Mm-hmm. And the word Tongji means yeah. comrade, mm-hmm. um, which of course delights our gay communist hearts. Yes, um, as if all of that wasn't lovely enough. Mm-hmm. When I actually read it, and I, I've, I've kind of sold. You, you had me at comrade, uh-huh. comrades. But when I actually started to read it, I was really surprised at how resonant it was with a lot of what we believe in our church. Mm-hmm. Even though Tongji theology is a Christian mm-hmm. queer theology, there, there's a lot of stuff, and we're going to get into it real soon, that... Yeah. And I, I'd never heard of this before, to be clear. Yeah. So this was parallel invention. Yeah. But I, I really related to what I was reading and yes. found it very exciting. And, you know, I I read a few pieces mm-hmm. about Tongji theology. I, I think it turned out, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did, I tried to do some research beyond what was assigned in the course. Uh-huh. And it seemed like, it seemed like uh, Dr. Cordova Cuero had actually given us pretty much everything on Tongji theology that was in English. Because uh, mm-hmm. I just kept finding the same like three mm-hmm. texts but the piece that i really found very resonant and very radical and very interesting yeah is a piece by reverend dr neo boon lin i am probably butchering his name i looked up guides on how to properly pronounce the ng sound at the beginning of a word and I've come to the conclusion that, unfortunately, my English speaker tongue and ear can neither pronounce nor actually hear the distinction in that sound. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Um, Here's hoping that by chance you've managed to get it right. That would be amazing, but I wouldn't be able to tell if I had. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so, Nyo Boon Lin, <clears throat> he's Chinese-Malaysian. I'm just going to read this little bio which is from his adjunct professor page on the Hunter College website. Mm -hmm. He was an award-winning journalist before he came to the United States in 1997. He's published extensively in the Chinese language since 1999. He's the author of more than 30 books and numerous bestsellers in Malaysia. Dr. Nyo holds a BA in sociology from the University of Wisconsin, an MA in sociology from Minnesota State University, a Master of Theological Studies from Episcopal Divinity School, and a doctoral degree in theology from Boston University. He's also a doctoral candidate in sociology. That's just showing off. Yeah, he is. He's pretty amazing. He has a lot of degrees. Yep. One master's degree almost killed me, so good for you, Reverend Doctor. Uh, Dr. Neo is a staff pastor of MCCU New York. That's Metropolitan Community Church. We love them. Mm-hmm. And the first openly gay minister in his native country, Malaysia, and the first openly gay minister who holds a doctoral degree in theology in Asia. 
one of the most sought after speakers in LGBTI Chinese communities in Asia, such as China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Malaysia, Dr. Neo's activism in Asia has been reported by CNN and the New York Times. He's been named as one of the most inspiring LGBT religious leaders in the world by Huffington Post. So Huffington Post got something right for once. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Good for them. Um, so, and the piece that we're going to be talking about is actually his dissertation for his Doctor of Theology from Boston University. Nice. Um, it's a piece titled, We Are Comrades, Tongji Comrade Theology, and its contribution to Christian theologies of God in the new millennium. Nice. Yeah. I read it as well. Yeah. To try and keep up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, look, one of the reasons that I'm actually very happy to have you sort of co-hosting this and being a sounding board is in spite of the fact that I went to seminary and you didn't, you're better at Christian theology than I am. I guess I am. Well, no, because you, you basically study Christian theology at a grad level on your own for fun. Eh. <laughs> I guess you could have a hobby. <laughs> I just study, I mean, I study a lot of theology, and Christian theology, of course, is what it's easy to get your hands on, for one thing. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, well, you know, that's a little bit of a tangent. So, Tangji, it means comrade. Uh, it's also now the word for gay, which it, it was a bit of a, a circuitous route to getting there. Um, I tried to find out what Chinese language Tongji is originally from. It was mm -hmm. surprisingly hard. I think it might be Mandarin. But, of course, because, you know, in Mao's China, yeah. Tongji, comrade, just became like the polite form of address yeah. for everyone. So I think it got into basically all Chinese dialects. Yes, I would assume it was originally Mandarin if it yeah. was popularized by Mao's China. Yes, yeah. How it got to mean gay, I suspect, I mean, it has some something to do with wordplay, basically. So, tong means the same. Uh, tongji is like same desire or same purpose. Mm -hmm. Tongjing mian uh, means homosexual. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I have... I don't speak Chinese, and I'm probably butchering this, and I know it's tonal, mm -hmm. and I don't know how one is supposed to yeah. intone the words. I, I took a little bit of Chinese. I, let me look at the word again, because um, it has tone markers on it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Wait. I just saw it. Uh, okay, yeah. So that would be tong, uh Z. So the, it goes because it goes okay. up and down. Okay. It's, the little markers are actually very um, oh, intuitive. Cool. Well, today I I learned something else, um, and I'm probably going to and I'm still fail probably to butchering do that it. the entire time. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. So so Tongji, comrade mm -hmm. Tongjing Lian, homosexual. Yeah. And that's kind of sort of the more, like, medicalizing or pathologizing term. Yeah. Just, like, how homosexual in English is a bit, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Like, you only say someone's a homosexual if you're a homophobe or if you're a gay person being, like, you, ironic and funny. You homosexual, you. 
Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the 90s, I believe, uh, Tongji kind of got taken up as this term for LGBTI Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it was kind of like a way to reject Western categories of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because there's a history of same-sex practices and desire in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just not constructed the same way that homosexuality is in yeah. the West. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I recall, there's, um, I think it's in The Great Mirror of Male Love, which is a Japanese book. Mm-hmm. But essentially, they said that um, they didn't know how to do it until the Chinese uh, brought the art of homosexuality over. That's really funny. So, yeah, apparently... So they couldn't figure out gay sex without the help of the Chinese. Yes. I, a big if true. I feel like that's probably not real, but it is funny. I love, like, <clears throat> you know, 16th, 17th century historians and the weird shit they make up. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, like, for example, sort of homosexual and heterosexual weren't like these mm-hmm. mutually exclusive categories like you could be someone who was more oriented towards same-sex desire maybe but you're still gonna get married you yeah. know you're still gonna reproduce and just you know other ways in which things just don't perfectly track so tongji is kind of this way to have a, a specifically chinese way of speaking about queerness but it's also kind of a defiance of identity politics at the same time Mm -hmm. i mean imagine if someone was like are you gay and you were like i'm a comrade yeah you know it's it's a way of saying i'm queer that's kind of defiantly saying like we're all humans among humans comrade yep at the same time and as we'll see, Tongji theology um, is meant to be for all people. Mm-hmm. It's a specifically sort of queer Chinese Christian theology, but it it doesn't marginalize itself. It's very much like, okay, this might we might be in this specific situation, but we have something to say about everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoy that. It kind of reminds me of that state, that section from the Kambahi River Collective Statement. Um, yeah, when they talk about... How as black lesbians, like, their liberation requires the liberation of all people. Yeah, exactly. And they the way they kind of put it is like, well, we're black lesbians, so we're probably, like, the last people who are going to get liberated. Yep. So I guess we just have to liberate everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think there's, I mean, it's a different context, but it is kind of a similar sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Christian liberation the- theologians will use the phrase like the least of us yeah. quite often. Um, I don't remember what part of scripture that's a reference to, but, you know, the, yeah. this idea of the poor, the humble, uh, uh-huh. the people Christ ministered to being the ones who deserve priority. Yeah. The way that Neo puts it when he's talking about the term Tongji, he says, uh, to use the term Tongji 
to describe queer people also indicates that our sexuality is not only a personal and private matter, but also a social matter and that it is political. So it's kind of a anti-individualist thing as well. Yeah, you love know, that. Like this is this is not just about like what I like. Yeah. Uh, what I want. What I like. And so, you know, very early in the beginning of his his dissertation, mm -hmm. he says, queer theology needs to go beyond apologetic theology for LGBTI. It needs to construct a theology of God, which can dismantle the entire oppressive and exploitative imperial edifice of Christianity. Badass. Yeah. So, I mean, he's basically saying he's not interested in a queer theology that's just like, well, Jesus would have liked gay people. Yeah. Um, you know, apologetic theology. He's not yeah. here to just sort of argue about why being gay is yeah. okay. Yeah. Like, why you should please let us in, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah. So he's, he's interested in moving past the apologetics, um, which is interesting because— Mm -hmm. So this dissertation is from 2013. Yeah. He also had a book that was published in 2013. Yes. Called Gay is Okay, mm -hmm. which was actually banned in Malaysia for a while. But it's pretty much, you know, him going and making that, you know, mm -hmm. that gay apologetics argument of like, well, these Bible verses have actually been uh -huh. misinterpreted and taken out of context. And yeah. here's why homosexual homosexuality should be fine from a Christian perspective. Yeah. So my guess would be that he wrote that book before he wrote this dissertation uh -huh. since it was published in 2013. Yeah. So I, I think it's very interesting that he'd like kind of already done that. And then he's like, okay. Let's mm -hmm. uh, let's go deeper. Let's do something uh, more forceful and more interesting. Uh huh. And what he ends up doing is actually really, really, really radical. And I love this energy. Um, yeah. He says Christians have changed their attitudes towards slavery, racism, sexism. But their oppressive structures remain intact, and they continue to discriminate against LGBTI people with the same saying, referring to the, like, saying the Bible says so, because they never critically review their theology of God, which is the core of all problems. Nice. So he's saying, no, your problem isn't that you don't understand, like, the context of Leviticus or whatever. Yeah. No, the real problem is your idea of God sucks. And that is a wonderful, like, yeah. that is really, like, going after it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, radical means, like, to the root. Yeah. So it's radical in every sense. He's like, we're gonna, we're gonna go examine the entire Christian idea of God and uh, give it a little, a little makeover little glow up. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit more fundamental than that. Yeah, it is. No, you're right. I'm. That would be something cosmetic. I was just being yeah, no, sassy. I, I, more of a like, you have misidentified this person. You have picked the wrong god out of this lineup. Yes, yes. The, you, you have the wrong god. 
is really what it comes down to. So I was really interested to see where he was going to go with that. Yeah. And um, as he's setting up this paper, he's interested in the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. As are we all. Yes. And for listeners who yeah. are not brain poisoned by theology. So, yeah, what, <laughs> what is the problem of evil? Yeah. Pretend I don't know. Okay. So, the problem of evil is not just evil exists and it's a problem. Okay, that's part of it. That's the beginning of it. Evil exists. But if you are an ethical monotheist, particularly if you're a Christian, this is confusing because God is supposed to be all-powerful, omnipotent, and um, all-loving, you know, omnibenevolent. Yep. You're supposed to have a perfectly powerful and perfectly good God. And omniscient, all-knowing. And omniscient, all-knowing, which I would say kind of like should fit in omnipotence, but whatever. People always say them separate. Yeah. So if God knows everything, can do anything, and only wants what's good for everyone, then why does evil exist? Mm-hmm. This is also referred to as theodicy yep. in even more theological Not terms. to be confused with the odyssey. Thank you, dear. <laughs> and I think that, I mean, okay, so we're talking to an audience of mostly Satanists. Yes. And I think the problem of evil, whether we know that term or not, is something that starts bothering a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, at an early age. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something even a child can come up with. And, you know, various Christian theologians have kind of tried to resolve it in different ways. Yep. None of which have really been satisfactory to me. Yep. And what Neo Boon Lin ends up doing with it, we'll see, is pretty interesting. Yeah. And actually kind of the same way that I've resolved the problem of evil. Same. (laughs) More or less. Yeah. At some point we should do an episode just on the problem of evil. Yeah, that would be fun. They can yell about Augustine anyway. Oh, yeah. Side note, apparently Catholics say Augustine and Protestants say Augustine. Usually? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. You say Augustine, Augustine, I say Augustine. Augustine. Okay. Um. (laughs) And Satanists apparently say... Whatever the heck we want. Because you can't tell us what to do. (laughs) St. Augie. St. Augie. Okay. We'll go with St. Augie. But yeah, Neo is definitely looking at the problem of evil specifically from an LGBTI perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a particularly forceful way to look at it, as it turns out, because he realizes that not only do you need to think about the fact that incredibly bad and cruel things happen Mm -hmm. to us. Yes. You also have to think about, like, why are there trans and intersex people? Yeah. And, okay, so this is from 2013, and some of the discourse around intersex people felt a little dated, but... You know, basically, does God make mistakes? Yeah. Is the thing. You know, trans people, we don't feel... uh, A lot of the time. A lot of the time we don't feel too fantastic about the circumstances of our birth and the bodies we've ended up in. 
And some intersex people also don't feel great about that. My perspective is a little skewed because all of the intersex people I happen to know personally yeah. are very like, my body was fine and I was perfect and why did you do yeah. non-consensual surgery to me when I was an infant? Yep. And, you know, it's, it's really funny because if you show an evangelical Christian a lineup of, like, three trans people and one intersex person, yeah, they'll be like, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. Oops, God made a mistake. We better fix the intersex baby. You yep. know? Um. <laughs> Consensual, like, you know, hormone delaying therapy on trans children, very bad. However, mutilating the genitals of children, A plus, great. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, like, so, yeah, the problem of evil, like, not only why does God let violence and oppression happen to queer people but what's god doing with our bodies yeah you know like excuse me yeah why'd you stick ovaries in me yeah and i mean in this household we're two trans satanists and when we're complaining about our dysphoria and bemoaning our lot we usually we will say well i guess god really does hate us yeah um yeah or God, fuck that guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, God just was like, you know what? I really don't like you in particular. I'm making you trans. Yep. You have your joke about how trans men are men that God disliked so much that he gave them the curse of Eve. Yeah, he's just like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm going to give him a period. I'm going to make it hurt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, joking aside. Yeah. <laughs> What kind of uh, omnibenevolent, omniscient, omnipotent God is just going to go around sticking people in the wrong bodies yep. and giving them terrible dysphoria? Yeah, no, like... Because if, you know, if people are out here doing mean things to gay people, you can be like, oh, well, free will. Yeah. You can kind of get around the problem of evil with the free will argument, but... God just, like, sticking a little trans girl in a male-assigned body. Yeah. And now you've got a trans kid who's, like, suicidally dysphoric beginning yeah. at age four. And, you know, especially, I mean, also, like, think about, you know, trans people who, mm -hmm. you know, even with many of the wonderful technologies we have today, would like to, you know, have, like, a trans woman who would like to be able to be pregnant. Yeah, exactly. That's fucked up and cruel. What kind of sadistic motherfucker would do that Yeah, what, what kind of God's gonna be like, uh, sorry, no, you, you don't get to bear children. You yep. don't get to experience yep. the thing that you want the most. So, yeah, going, going back to Neo, um, this is a big part of what he's setting up, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the problem of evil. Because not only do you have the human cruelty that kind of could be explained with a free will argument, even though that still feels like a big cop-out. The sort of errors in creation that yeah. we seem to see. Yeah, those those are harder. Those are trickier. Yeah. So, what's he going to do with the problem of evil? He's going to decide <laughs> mm -hmm. that God is not omnipotent. Oh, and I should say, as we start to dig into, like, mm -hmm. kind of the meat of his argument, he's got two sort of main influences yes. on his theology. 
one of them is something called process theology. Yes. Which is a, a Western Christian theology. Yes. Uh, mainly via this guy Whitehead, which is an unfortunate name. Yep. I, I guess it probably wasn't a term for pimple at the time. And then Neo is also pulling on Confucianism and Taoism. Yes. And bringing those ideas into Christianity. Because this is also, you know, this is a Asian theology. This is a Chinese theology. Yep. And bringing some of the really rich philosophy and um, worldview mm -hmm. that is indigenous to Chinese culture back into it is also part of the project. So I'm I'm actually I'm gonna save the sort of Taoist and Confucian discussion mm -hmm. for last because I feel like that part of the argument's like transcendent, you know? Yeah, no and beautiful. And very beautiful. So let's just um get to process mm -hmm. theology. And let's get to this idea of um, yeah, God is not all-powerful. Is it Thomas Whitehead? Alfred North Whitehead. North by North Whitehead. What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it just came to mind. <laughs> so, Neo says, mm -hmm. The traditional theology of God, which emphasizes God as the Father, the mm -hmm. Supreme Being, the Omnipotent One, is highly problematic for two reasons. First, it perpetuates and justifies oppression, not to mention extreme violence. Second, it fails to include and explain the experience of all LGBTI people. And mm -hmm. that's, that's actually putting it kind of mildly. Mm -hmm. Later on, he's going to make the argument, you know, drawing on Whitehead and mm -hmm. other sources, that an omnipotent god is fundamentally a tyrannical god. Yes. And that omnipotence and you know human freedom mm -hmm. really can't coexist yeah i also really like the argument he mm -hmm. makes i think it's quite late mm -hmm. when he talks about how omnipotence is a self-contradictory concept oh yeah um he's actually drawing on um some post showa theology yes when we get to that part sorry and I, no no worries and i i found that Although the, the argument that comes out of that piece is actually different. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he makes this critique of sort of the patriarchal nature of God the Father. Uh -huh. um, saying, when males find their source in God, who is gendered as a man, uh -huh. men are like God. But women have been historically and systematically marginalized as subject, uh -huh. objects of subjugation and domination. The symbol of God as a man thus became one of the major criticisms of feminist theology. Mm -hmm. Which um, reminds me of a note I took mm -hmm. that I think is actually kind of a valuable one because he talks about how, you know, symbols are neither true nor untrue and a bunch of other things. And I was thinking that, you know, in terms of early Christianity in a system where women are property and are supposed to be under the supervision of a man who owns mm -hmm. them at all mm -hmm. times, Having God as your husband and father, it's sort of like uh, the com comparison I made was like a dummy in the passenger seat for the um, the uh, carpool lane. Yes, for yeah, the carpool yeah. lane. 
And so, like, it's like, oh, yeah, no, like, I can go anywhere I want. I have my father slash husband with me. He's right there. He's God. He's everywhere. Mm, mm. I can go wherever I need to go. I don't need to be supervised because I'm always being supervised. Well, yeah, and that's interesting. And actually, it brings to mind the um, the stories of, like, uh, early female Christian martyrs. Yeah. Who are always, like, trying to remain virgins devoted to god and then you know someone's always trying to force them into marriage and exactly that's always the story um so yeah god um Mm -hmm. god as the i already have a boyfriend when some guy hits on you (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) um which like you know yeah if if you need that uh this yeah I god mean, is as good a one as any i mean I that that is kind of a, a fun like counter reading to like how you can subvert yeah uh patriarchal god in that context yeah but hopefully that's no longer necessary i think is the other truth hopefully. yeah yeah it's still kind of necessary sometimes i feel like god is my boyfriend plays even less well now to get guys to stop hitting on you yeah it played really well for a few centuries though i mean not really because a lot of those women got like beheaded or something no no, i meant like me like medieval okay okay fair enough yeah no if you were like a medieval lady god is my boyfriend i mean it still didn't play perfectly but it it played better than it It, could it was worth a shot it was worth a shot so he he critiques this monotheistic god as patriarchal Mm -hmm. he critiques him as imperial the god of empire mm-hmm. and he feels that monotheism is an ideology that goes really well with imperialism mm-hmm. and i would add that mm-hmm. evangelical monotheism specifically goes particularly well with imperialism yes because if you know for, for example judaism kind of thought of as the first monotheistic religion uh-huh. but it's never been evangelical you know yeah. it's like no this, this is our god leave us alone you can't take our god away yep um oh you want to convert that's that's going to take a really long time and you have to get circumcised yep. like it, it's very much yep not the same as christianity being like there's you know one god who's kind of the lord and the master whose dominion must extend over yeah. the entire world and we got to convert everyone and have crusades about it and go missionize people about it. Yeah. Et cetera. And Neo says, it's no coincidence that so much religious terrorism and extreme violence is committed by believers of monotheistic religions who believe in a sovereign God of absolute power. These religious believers are simply imitating their God in exercising the power to condemn their enemies. To put it bluntly, it is simply because they found their prime model in their God. Gotta say, like... Mm-hmm. Seeing this kind of argument from a Christian yeah. really kind of blew my mind because this is something I'm used to seeing yeah. from some atheists or a Satanist. And occasionally like a, a pagan. Yeah, that's true. So Neo is like, okay, we don't want God to be the Lord and Master. Mm-hmm. We don't want the God of Empire. And we don't want an all-powerful God. We're going to have God as comrade. Mm-hmm. 
which is extra fun because remember the word comrades still mean the word for comrades still is the same word for gay yep so he also just called god gay at the same time yep possibly even one's lover oh yeah yeah there's not a lot in this about sort of an erotic relationship to god mm -hmm. but there could be yeah i mean you could i mean especially you'll get to it later yeah you can you can go there with it absolutely so let's pause here let's pause here and uh bring some satanism into it okay because we've kind of been summarizing neo quite uh -huh. a bit yeah so i think this is a good moment to backtrack Mm-hmm. so of course where a christian is going to take god as comrade is um jesus yeah you know and i i think we all have been exposed to the idea of sort of like sweet lefty pacifist communist jesus yeah proto-communist even not necessarily pacifist it, it's a little ambiguous yeah but you know lefty jesus yeah lefty jesus and so we we all i mean look i i would say many of the satanists in our audience specifically are like kind of sympathetic to that and can kind of respect that mm -hmm. but obviously it doesn't quite work for us otherwise we wouldn't be here yeah we wouldn't have a podcast called speak of the devil we'd have a podcast called jesus is a commie or something yeah so let's talk about comrade lucifer yeah i mean so i mean one of one of the things uh -huh. for me about lucifer versus an omnipotent god mm -hmm. and this this is i think a big sticking point for me of why jesus is never going to inspire me as much or make me feel uh -huh. what i feel about lucifer yeah because jesus you know he he incarnates as a human he comes to suffer with us he comes to die for us that's all very nice of him but he is you know identical with the one true almighty god right yeah. he is he's co-equal and co-eternal and all that shit. you know yeah. to he's not three persons one substance i don't know how the trinity works no. but it's the same guy yeah is the thing and so you know he he's gonna suffer he's gonna be dead for three days he's gonna rise mm -hmm. and while jesus you know being both fully human and fully mm -hmm. divine he has his moments of doubt and fear about it he's also got his faith he knows mm -hmm. he knows his god is with him and that is what enables him yeah to do this and also he kind of seems chill with dying well you know he's he's got his moment in the garden where he's oh no not... i mean but he doesn't like you know smack one of the soldiers and try and run off well i mean that's why i called him a pacifist yeah is because even though you see him have his you know let this cup pass from me moment yeah where he's actually very scared of dying yeah when you know his disciples try to defend him from yeah. the soldiers with force yeah he's got his you know those who live by the sword die by the sword whatever yeah moment um which i mean in the face of the roman army may be understandable yeah if you're trying not to let you know everyone you love die and maybe you would rather just die than all of them 
Yeah, well, I mean, my point is, yeah. I'm not sure that Jesus, the human, is fully chilled with dying as much as he's, like, a committed, nonviolent yeah. person for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, different readings of Jesus is possible, and you can yeah. have a more militant Jesus, I guess. But this is another thing, and um, I'll, I'll get to militancy in a second yeah. after I get back to what I was going to try Sorry. and say. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Lucifer is not supposedly, you know, co-equal and co-eternal in uh -huh. one substance with an almighty king of kings god. Yeah. He's going against that guy. Yeah. He does not know that his god is with him. Yeah. He does not know that he's going to be taken up into heaven yeah. to be with his god forever. He knows the opposite of that. Yeah, no. He chooses to defy the allegedly almighty and for the sake of justice for the sake of justice for the sake of what he believes and for the sake of those he loves yes and you know is condemned to hell eternally for it yeah and a lot of the time there's an implication that, you know, oh, Satan is so prideful and stubborn. He could be reconciled to God, you know, because God can forgive anything, but Satan just won't, you know, he won't back yeah. down. And they say that like it's a bad thing, but I think it's cool as hell. Well, you know what it reminds me of? Mm -hmm. Well, it reminds me of all the times when the group that, like, got the offer to sell out their comrades mm -hmm. like all the times in history when they have sold out and then the beauty of the times when they choose not to like I, I think about oh god there's i can't remember the name it was a southern political party during mm -hmm. the reconstruction era it was a coalition of poor white people and poor black people mm -hmm. and eventually the old democratic party of the era was like hey poor white people We'll give you concessions if you help us oppress your former, you know, mm -hmm. friends. And they were like, you know what, let's go with that. Ugh. And Lucifer refusing to reconcile with God yeah. is the opposite yeah, of that. No. Lucifer saying, no, fuck that. I see what you're doing to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lucifer, he won't sell out. Yeah. Um, he won't back down even in the face of clearly i mean this this is the fun thing also about satan versus omnipotence satan is kind of he's hard to reconcile with omnipotence right yeah you know and theologians who take the idea of satan seriously as a factor have kind of wrestled with trying not to get manichaean yeah um so to me part of what's so inspiring and fun about Lucifer is he's kind of the guy who just throws a monkey wrench at this whole omnipotence thing. Yeah. You know, there's a, a line from Lord Byron's play Cain where Lucifer is talking to Cain and talking about, like, their their kinship and how they're the same yeah. sort of individuals. And he says something about how we are those who dare look the omnipotent tyrant in the face and tell him that his evil is not good. Love that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of, you know, Christian liberation theology, it, it's very hopeful because you still, you still have the big guy on your side, right? Yeah. 
And as we'll see as we go through uh, Neo, even though he makes God not omnipotent, he's still kind of careful to be like, well, God doesn't have all power in the universe, but God still has more power than anything else yes. in the universe. I don't like that. Yeah. Personally. I don't. Yeah. And I'm never going to be as inspired by that as by the idea of like, you know what? Maybe we don't have all the power. I, I, and what's with this might makes right thing? Yeah. That Christianity kind of has going on. The all powerful one is the good one. Yeah. You know, God, God has all power. God cannot lose because he is the ultimate. He's the. Yeah. And I mean, of course, yeah. you know, uh, as I've always said, I mean, in terms of morality, might does not make right. In terms of practicality, might's how you get rights. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so that brings us to the militancy of Lucifer yeah. versus Jesus. Another reason why I'm a Satanist and not a Christian. You know, Jesus doesn't actually take up arms against yeah. the Roman Empire as far as we can see in the Gospels at all. Yep. Lucifer... Day three of creation, according yeah. to the uh, sort of the mythology yeah. that's grown up around it, even though yeah. it's not scriptural, has had enough yeah. and has gotten together a coalition of one third of the angels to try to attack and dethrone God. Yeah. You know what's also really funny mm -hmm. from some of my reading on military strategy? Yeah. It takes about a third of a nation to win an insurgency. Hail Satan. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, I mean, too bad they didn't win, I guess. Yeah. But um, in some ways they kind of do, though. Yeah. Because the revolt of the angels proves that God is not all-powerful. Yeah. And, um... The war's not lost yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It ain't over till the seven-eyed ghost sings. Yeah. Or sheep, whatever. Seven-eyed lamb. So... Okay, but you know, as we're as we're talking about sort yeah. of comrade Jesus versus comrade Satan. Yeah. One thing that is interesting that Christianity has that we Yeah. Well, actually, I think we could have it, but we haven't really articulated it yet. So yeah. let's get on that. Yes. Is this incarnational theology? Yes. Which of course so is the idea of God becoming a human being. Yeah. And, you know, liberation theolog theologians have gotten a lot of really positive mileage yeah. out of the idea of the incarnation. Yeah. In so many ways, because it's, you know, sort of a God who was like humbling himself to become like us yeah. and come down and suffer with us. But, you know, it's also a fleshly God. Yeah. It's a God who um, had to go poo-poo. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, though. Like, a god who has made the flesh sacred by yes. becoming one with it. Yes. And so it's kind of been used to push back against, like, sex negativity and yeah. mind-body dualism and yeah. all of that. And all sorts of things. And this reminds me of another place mm -hmm. in my notes mm -hmm. um, where, you know, there's that quote what is not assumed is not healed. Um, uh -huh. It's from, oh goodness, I wrote it down. Where did it go? By Gregory of Nazianzus. Okay. Or Nazian, 
is this? Yeah. Um, and that's paraphrasing. Um, so basically that means that anything that Christ, that God doesn't yeah. take on. Yeah, which is what, it was an argument in favor of the corporeality mm -hmm. okay. of Christ. The, that brings up questions. Okay, about, about what Christ assumed and healed. Yeah, because, so like, does that mean that like, Jesus, a dude, apparently um mm -hmm. so like titties vaginas is that not healed what's going on here there are questions about that theologically especially because mary according to the catholics did not menstruate um ever interesting the the protestants would say she did probably but i mean i feel like neo would be like sure why not <laughs> um Mm -hmm. Though I also thought it would be interesting if, like, Jesus being in utero in Mary and the identity of mother and infant during pregnancy is, you know... Has sort of healed the, yeah. the cis female form yeah. by Jesus' incarnation first in the womb of this woman. Yeah. I, th I mean, I think that's a strong, a strong argument. Yeah. The, the Christians should hire you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, the devil can quote scripture. Yes, indeed. And um, fairly arcane Christian theology, apparently. So, yeah. Christians do have this sort of incarnational theology mm -hmm. going for them. Of uh, God becoming human. Yeah. Which is a top-down process yes you know god in his sort of beneficence yeah. descends into the flesh and ennobles it we kind of have the opposite yeah uh we have humans becoming gods yes and this of course this happens in the garden of eden i'm i'm starting to feel like you know how a Christian preacher is always going to get back to the crucifixion. Yep. And when it means at some point, I'm always going to get back to the Garden of Eden and the fruit of knowledge. Yep. And, you know, the serpent yeah. saying to Eve, if you eat this, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And then God. Being like, oh shit, they're as gods, yeah, knowing no, good and I evil. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's there in the text. They... According to not only the serpent, but also according to God. Yep. They became as him in all ways except immortality. Yep. And then he's like, okay, get them get them out of the garden so they don't eat from the tree of life. I I don't want them to live forever. Yeah. You know what I like? Mm-hmm. If one accepts the idea of Im an immortal soul, mm -hmm. that God maybe didn't know that. Wait, what? That... What if God didn't know that humans had immortal souls already? That would be weird. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Point being, I think in a way, I mean, that's that's our fully human and fully divine, though. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, it's not just Jesus for us. Yeah, it's, it's everyone because Adam and Eve... Yeah. Became as gods, knowing good and evil, and then they passed that on yep. to everyone. Exactly. 
so now everyone is fully human and fully divine. Yeah. The sacredness is incarnate in all human flesh. Yeah. And I think that's fun. I think that's beautiful. I also, I just love the absolute chaos of that. Yeah. Of divinity being sort of this like viral thing. Oh, yeah. The serpent just kind of slides in there, feeds one apple to one lady, and all of a sudden divinity has just gone everywhere. Yeah. And there's nothing that God could do yep. about it. It's exploded across <laughs> the whole earth. Yes. Which is just beautiful. Just so much fun. Yep. But, you know, I think in some ways as Satanists we have kind of the opposite problem of Christians. Yeah. Who sometimes struggle a little bit with feeling like the flesh is um, worthy. Yeah. And I think some Satanists, we're, um, I think it's almost hard to remember that the flesh is spiritual. <laughs> Interesting. If that makes sense, you know, like for for Christians, like the struggle is to be sex positive and to, yeah. you know, be comfortable with the body, yeah, and reclaim that. And for us, like, we we kind of have the the body stuff down a little more. Yeah, not that bodies are easy for anyone. No, in bodies this society. are society. Let's be real, bodies are terrible, vile bodies. Yes, but sort of remembering to bring the spiritual to the fleshly. Yeah. I think is um sometimes a little bit more of the the satanic challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. we're going to dig a little bit further into omnipotence or lack thereof. So, Neo just straight up says, one of the implications of God as all-powerful is that God as such is always deemed a tyrant. And also, the traditional view of God as a powerful being who is all-determining cause, who is influenced by nothing, would inevitably give birth to a tyrannical conception of God whose function is to command, while all creatures merely obey and follow orders. Since God is omnipotent and all-knowing, our obligation as creatures is to take orders and be the subject of domination. One can clearly see that the traditional concept of God not only fails to answer the question of evil, it also perpetuates theocracy, which is tyrannical in nature. Nice. So, this is where it starts to get really cool. It wasn't already really cool? I mean, yeah, no, it is already really cool. But it starts to get even cooler because we're going to start looking at like, okay, well, we've been like, God's not all powerful. God's not the king. God's our comrade instead. Yeah. And that's nice and all. Yeah. But there's some implications to unpack in that that I think are very, very cool. Yeah. And what what comes out of this is the idea that God is sharing power yes or and th there's a little bit of ambiguity the way that most of this is written seems to imply that god has chosen to share their power on purpose mm -hmm. or but th actually there is there is really ambiguity it might also be that like because god's nature is good how could god possibly not share power uh-huh 
And then there's even this argument that you were yes. referencing earlier. Yes. So this is um, a uh -huh. quote that Neo uses from a theologian called Hans Jonas uh -huh. um, in a, a piece called The Concept of God After Auschwitz. Uh -huh. So this is Jewish post-Shoah theology yeah. being brought in to argue against omnipotence. So Jonas says, from the very concept of power, it follows that omnipotence is self-contradictory, self-destructive, indeed a senseless concept. Absolute total power means power not limited by anything, not even by the mere existence of something other than the possessor of that power. Absolute power, then, in its solitude has no object on which to act. But as objectless power, it is a powerless power, cancelling itself out. All equals zero here. In order for it to act, there must be something else. And as soon as there is, the one is not all-powerful anymore. Even though, in any comparison, its power may be superior by any degree you please to imagine, the existence of another object limits the power of the most powerful agent at the same time that it allows it to be an agent. In brief, power as such is a relational concept and requires relation. In short, it cannot be all power is on the side of one agent only. Power must be divided so that there is any power at all. Love that. I love that too. And this is so close to a lot of arguments that we've made against monotheism. Yes. Because we've talked not only about how... I mean, our argument hasn't been about power. Yes. A lot of the time. It's been about sort of being itself, existence. Yes. And these theologies that kind of argue that God is the only real thing. thing. And... I mean, also, like, ideas like God is love. If there weren't, a, if there wasn't anything to love each other, love exactly. is not real. Exactly. You know, if, if, if God is this one that absorbs all of us. Yes. Then ultimately God's love is solipsistic. Yes. And God's power is meaningless. It's like... So, yeah, all you, equals zero. It's like playing Monopoly with yourself. I was a lonely kid. Oh. <laughs> like, Sweetie. you always win because you're uh -huh. the only person uh -huh. playing. Okay, God playing Monopoly with himself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the question... In, you know, how Neo is kind of conceptualizing this mm -hmm. um, lack of total power on God's part. Mm -hmm. it, it's not completely clear to me where he's come down on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he completely cares, like, exactly how or why that works. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's most important to him is that God is not omnipotent because that would be a, um, a tyrannical God. And an unfree universe. Yep. And it's important to him that humans have to contribute. Yes. To reality. Humans are called upon to do justice in the name of God. Humans have to build yeah. the universe, the world that they want to be in. And sort of process theology, which 
Neo is drawing on to build mm -hmm. this argument, sees God as um, God's power as persuasive rather than coercive. Yes. So this um, this comrade God is yeah. sort of like poking you and being like, "Hey, do better, be better." Yeah, like, hey, like, don't you want to like call your friend instead of being sad? Which is another uncomfortable moment of me feeling like if you just replaced Jesus with Lucifer, I would be exactly on board with this, not only theologically, but sort of experientially. Yes. You know? I mean, talk about persuasive power. Yeah. Like, virtually any story about the devil that you think of, it's about tempting. Yeah, no. It's it, not about forcing. There was a line in here. I'm trying to find it. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see here. God, with God's luring and persuasive power. Yep. And luring, like, God as... Luring, tempting, almost, beguiling. Almost seductive, which yes, again brings... seducing. Me, yeah. Which brings me back to the uh, God as lover. Yes. Oh. Uh, okay. Like the way a lover has the power to be like, Hey, honey, like, don't you want to, like, leave the house instead of sitting here being sad? Mm-hmm. Okay. As opposed to, like, you know, they're not a cop forcing you out of the house. <laughs> but, like, them saying so, you'll probably listen. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, and, and thanks for bringing that out, because now that I'm looking at this language of persuading and even luring... Yeah. You just, if you just choose slightly different synonyms, yeah, you're getting to satanic language. Yes. You're getting to tempting. You're getting to seducing. Yeah. You're getting to beguiling. So, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, deeply resonant. And now, you know, there's some stuff in here that I, I disagree with. Like this idea, God would not be worthy of worship if God were to be like one of God's creatures. Again, for those of you who are not theology nerds, there's this um, creator versus creature idea. Yeah. You know, God is the creator. We are creatures, which is defined as a, a thing that was created. Yeah, I think that's literally the etymology of exactly, creature. Exactly. Just, you know, laying it out for... Yeah those of us who have lives and oh yeah no i i just thought people might something. be interested in the etymology <laughs> i thought people might like that you're very cute and sweet um <laughs> yes creature creature is a, a created thing yep okay i mean i i have so many problems with this line you know first of all we have this entirely diffuse idea of divinity yeah that we were just talking about so you know because of eve because of satan yeah. like we're all divine and in a certain way worthy of worship and also i don't really believe in a creator and i think we're all co-creators exactly and and the idea of co-creation does come in to neo's article which i really yeah. liked but but yeah i i'm I'm not a fan of... We get a verse on God's song. God gets to be the songwriter. 
yeah, that kind of feels like how Neo's doing this. Um, and, you know, like, he's also saying the transcendence of God means that human beings cannot reduce God to the world. God is above and beyond the world. God is inutterably exalted above everything outside of God. And not only that, God is also above everything that could be thought about God. You know, like, so he, he does, you know, make sure that God is not omnipotent, but he kind of has to, like, walk it back real fast. Yeah. And, and, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I think that for some people, a God of that kind can be more comforting. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, the thing about real world tyrants is they're actually not all powerful. Yeah. No. Like, all powerful beings don't exist yeah um in the mundane world and in my opinion they don't exist period i mean he makes a pretty good argument as to why they can't exist yeah so just just because you've made sure that god doesn't have all of the power doesn't necessarily mean that you've made sure that god's not a tyrant yeah or that god doesn't have too much power would be uh one of my little sticking points here and also to me at least Mm -hmm. the idea that I don't know that things in the world aren't worthy of worship is actually very troubling. Yeah. Because, like, to me at least, you know, you're my partner. You're the person I love most in the world. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to fucking tell me you weren't worthy of worship. Idolater. <laughs> no, no but i mean same and no one's going to tell me that this sweet dog beside me is not worthy of worship you know and i mean i think definitions of worship True. come into play here of course like i don't know i feel that sense of odd overwhelming mm-hmm. limitless love for other beings yeah and yeah. To tell me that, like, there's something that they're unworthy mm-hmm. of worship. Anything that tells me that they're unworthy in worship compared to it is unworthy of worship. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring Nietzsche into this, but the quote, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time, uh, springs to mind there. Or even, I can't believe in a God who doesn't want everyone else to be praised. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it is kind of weird because he, he goes off on mm-hmm. how omnipotence is just, is just not good. But then he kind of has to assert that for God to be worthy of worship, God has to be the most powerful thing out of like all the, the many things that do exist and do have power. Uh-huh. But God has to be the most powerful in order to be worthy of worship. And I feel like a a step was skipped there. Yeah. Like, why is it important? And and what's interesting um, to compare and contrast with the uh, the Jonas piece. Yeah. Which I went and read because I got curious about it from this article yeah. that cited it. Jonas decides that God has no power. Yeah. Um, He comes up with a really radical theology where he's like, in the beginning, God wanted other stuff to exist. So God uh, basically gave up all of their power in order to be able to, like, watch the drama of existence play out. 
mm-hmm. and now God's hands are just completely off the steering wheel and they can't do a thing. All they can do is like feel for us and witness us. And to Jonas, this literally powerless God yeah. is worthy of worship and love. Yeah. And in fact, gratitude. Because yeah. that God gave up, just abdicated all yeah, I mean, of that might. See, that's, you know? to me, that God is what, like, what Christ is a very pale imitation of. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, the God who gives up all power permanently. Yeah. Who has, you know, lost for us and who couldn't have us without losing power you know Mm -hmm. that's a god i could love yeah although for me personally like i i like that idea yeah but i'm i'm still going with um, oh yeah no like there's a there's a tragic aspect to that yeah that you know, it, it's sacrifice, it's sadness, it's sort of resignation. Yeah. And I I want to stick with my revolutionary god, yeah. you know, who is just going to keep fighting forever and is not yeah. giving up power. He's trying to take power, not just for himself. Yeah, no, he's trying. But for everyone. For everyone. He's trying to be a comrade. He's trying to have the revolution. Yeah. yeah, indeed. But so you know, there's kind of this push pull in this article between like God is not all powerful, but God has a lot of power. But here's how it actually works. Um, this is a good quote. According to Tangji theology, God does not possess monopolistic power. All actual entities in reality, God being no exception, influence and are influenced by one another. In other words, nothing is really immutable and independent from other things. To say that God has the absolute active and determining power as the traditional doctrine of omnipotence has proposed is to say that God is no better than a tyrant. He's just said that God is influenced by other factors. Yes, and I love that. That's cool. I love that. Cool as hell. And this is where he starts to get into the idea of um, co-creation. Yes. The world emerges from the dynamic and creative interplay of flux and permanence in which the eternal and unchanging finds its relevance through its relationship to the temporal and changing world. And temporal and changing finds its completion and its role as contributing to the ongoing universe embraced by God's everlasting and ever-expanding experience of the universe. Man's true destiny is as a co-creator of the universe. I'm very on board with this. Same. Except to me, it's less a model where, like, there's, you know, big, big God who, as you put it, is like the songwriter and we all get a verse. Yeah. And more like, we all get a verse. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is a jam session. Yep. Which, by the way, is part of why evil exists. No one's driving this thing. Yeah, no. No one is, like, yeah. in full control or even, like, mostly in yeah. control. I mean, I think it's not even that we all get a verse. It's that we all co-write the yeah, verses. Yeah, exactly. Or or it's just a jam session, like I was saying. Yeah, we're... And, you know, we're all... Some of us are doing our best and some of us are not trying that hard. And there's there's someone who's just kind of, like, 
blowing incompetently into a clarinet as loud as possible <laughs> because they find the suffering of others at the shrill notes funny. Yep. Um, There's some motherfucker with a kazoo. Yeah, like, it, it's it's chaos here. Yeah. Um, no one, no one is driving, but we're all, we're all generating it together. And, you know, if we try together. Mm-hmm. If we actually, like, cooperate a little better. Yeah, we can. And be comrades. Yep. And maybe we can even drown out Kazoo Guy who yes, sucks. We, yes. <laughs> kazoo Guy is Donald Trump in this metaphor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have a kazoo. He, he just. He, he just brought a whoopee cushion. <laughs> like, that's what he thinks his instrument is. See, I was just imagining him making, like, farting noises with his armpit. Yes, that's that's Donald J. Trump's uh, contribution to the jam session of life. Yes. You were correct. So, yeah, it, and here we get into this idea of... Um, yeah. Interdependence. Yeah. And now I think it's time to talk about the Dow. Okay. Are you sure we shouldn't? Sh eh, are you sure we shouldn't talk about the Nasdaq first? The Nasdaq. The Dow. So, the Dow Jones is a term for one oh of the stock markets, God. and the Nasdaq is another. Uh, no. no. Vix, why? I don't know. I listened to like the NPR reports on the stock market a lot as a kid. You were a lonely kid. I was a lonely kid. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> you know what? If an omnipotence, omnipresence, omnibenevolent God existed, you would not have been stuck <laughs> listening to stuff about the stock market as a child. <laughs> I don't know. I got kind of interested in it. You're a weirdo. I was a weird kid. I was a weird, lonely kid. <laughs> okay. Yep. So let's talk about the Dow, though. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think the way that um, Neo chose to organize this was interesting because he kind of actually led with um, the Confucian and Taoist concepts mm -hmm. before getting into process theology. Yes. And, I mean, I can kind of see why. Um, yeah. He is a Christian at the end of the day, so I guess maybe for him that is the sort of more climatic and transcendent stuff. Yeah. Ties in nice bow line for him. Yeah, for him. Uh, for me what he says about the Tao is a lot more interesting. And the way he builds up this entire argument about omnipotence not existing and thus, you know, um, interdependence and relationality sort of being the law of the universe mm -hmm. could lead climatically into the Tao. Now, I'm just going to admit that I'm not sure... I understand these concepts all that well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've been... It's not like I've never read about Taoism before. I'm not, like, super familiar, but I think a lot of us here in the West have kind of picked certain things up. And yeah, we have some, like, pastors in the church yeah. 
who talk about it quite a bit, like Pastor Jairus. Yeah. Though Jairus is more Buddhist than Taoist. Oh, they do both. Oh, okay. I mean, they you, definitely you, you certainly both. can. Yeah. Um, I listened to the Tao of Pooh as a child, expecting it to be a Winnie the Pooh book. <laughs> <laughs> this episode subtitled, Vix was a weird, lonely kid. <laughs> Um, we have, we have this quote here. Yeah. According to Taoism, Tao is the central ordering principle of the cosmos, the organic totality of the eternal order and the course of nature that has produced two fundamental principles or forces, yin and yang, which constitute all aspects of life. A key principle of the Tao is the holistic and interactive conception of reality, which denies any essentialist conception of things. All particularities, human or otherwise, instead of being independent and discontinuous, are mutually constitutive of each other. So this idea of reality ultimately kind of being a union of dualities. Yeah. Something something generated by complementary forces. Sounds a little bit... It, it it feels familiar. I was going to say it sounds a little dialectical. Oh, yeah. It does sound a little dialectical. A little Marxist, almost. Yeah. <laughs> That's not where I was going to go with it. But yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of funny. As, as someone who recently read all of quotations from Chairman Mao, I really wasn't able to see a lot of continuity between Maoism and Tongji theology, mm -hmm. in spite of the name, other than sort of the Confucian and Taoist uh, influences on both. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I, I do think Marxist dialectics um, fit sort of cozily mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. And we're probably intuitive on that level. But what this really gets me having feelings about is Baphomet. Mm, yes, also that. Which is probably not a coincidence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, by the time Eliphas Levy and these other Western occultists were kind of coming up with the idea of Baphomet that we have now, mm -hmm. there had already been a lot of um, cross-pollination between Eastern and Western esotericism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I've kind of like sort of like uh, flippantly said before to when trying to explain Baphomet to non-Satanists that Baphomet is basically a yin-yang. Mm -hmm. Which is not a great way to explain them, mm -hmm. but it actually also isn't a terrible way to explain them. Yeah. As Neo writes here, yin and yang are not static or mutually exclusive. Even though they are opposite to each other, they are not an ontological binary. As a matter of fact, they are inter interdependent and complementary. In Chinese philosophy, women are seen as yin and men as yang. However, neither yin nor yang has ever existed in its pure form. They are highly interactive. As Charlotte pointed out, yin and yang are relativistic. The well-being of a human being depends on the momentary balance of the forces, sorry, of the dynamics between the forces of yin and yang. Such a philosophy of life has inevitably begotten a tolerant and more positive attitude toward a variety of sexual behavior. Mm. So, I mean, in Baphomet, what we see is Solvay and Coagula. 
and I mean, yin and yang, I feel like those are very difficult terms to translate. Yeah. But... Because I think they contain a lot. Yeah, they contain a lot. They're more like um, kind of two categories that you kind of more or less sort St- everything yeah. into. Like, you know, okay, yawn is like um, active, masculine, uh, dry. hot, dry, uh, you know, whatever. And then sort of the opposites of all of those things are kind of sorted into yeah. yin. The dialectic of solving coagula, I feel like in some ways is weirder. It's really meta. Yeah. Because it's it's a dualism of non-dualism. Yeah. It's, cause, you know, solve is um, sort of dis- dissolve, disperse. Yeah. And coagula, coagulate, come back together. So it's the balance between unity and disunity. Yeah. It's the unity of unity and disunity. And it's disunity. Of unity and disunity. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So Baphomet's actually kind of a mind breaker. And it's funny to me because I I don't feel that my Baphomet theology is complete by any means. Oh, certainly not. I feel like Baphomet is the great mystery that I'm still sitting here like scratching my head. Yeah. In some ways, Baphomet is... Well, almost like the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. In the sense that you just kind of sit there and go like, what? Well, huh. I, I, I've had this explained to me 300 times. Hypostases. What's hypostases? Um, that's the like Greek word for person. But, ah, yes. But it's not actually person. It's like things. Right, right, like right. A, okay. Like a table is a hypostasis. Right. So a, a god in three Things. Things. Thingies. Yeah, I got Stuffs. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not it's not an equivalent theology because it's not... Mm-hmm. I mean, we do look upon Baphomet as, um, you know, partly being the unity of Lilith and Samael. Yes. Um, sort of coming together. Um, either it's representing their sexual union... Yep. Or them just sort of like blending into one entity. Yep. So in a sense, we do have some kind of a like, mm, I don't know though. They're not they're not hanging out remaining two persons when they do that necessarily. Yeah. But sometimes they are because Solve and Coagula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes they're remaining two persons and... Sometimes they're not. And sometimes it's also like their child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because um, that's sort of the... Uh, the Thelemic take on it, isn't it? Um, yeah. The idea of androgyny, uh, the idea of a, any human child who's been, you know, sexually reproduced, as most of us are. Yes. As being a manifestation of androgyny in this weird way, because a mm-hmm. child has been created by the union of male and female. Exactly. Which is a, a very weird sort of queering of heterosexuality. Yes. <laughs> but there's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean that the children of a gay couple where one person is trans and one person is cis are the least androgynous children? I mean, I was kind of just thinking about how sort of cis-heteronormative my assertion that all people born are yeah. the product of a union between a man and a woman yeah, my my brain kind of went there too, but I was going to keep my mouth shut and 
not derail with that. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, the Tao, yin and yang, solving coagula. Neo writes, yin and yang are mutually differentiating and creatively coalescing. In a world of multiplicity, our universe is a constantly dynamic union of differentiated binaries. I know, it's a brain breaker. Also sounds a little Marxy. Dialectics. Yeah. Again, yes. I think I can kind of dig it. I think I can kind of dig it also. But, you know, what, what kind of continues to trouble me about Baphomet Mm-hmm. is I don't believe in a supreme being mm-hmm. on purpose. But I believe in Baphomet. Mm-hmm. And what the heck is Baphomet? Because Baphomet symbolizes the nature of reality from our perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. But I don't think Baphomet is everything. Yeah. Whereas the Tao kind of is Every- everything. I mean, I think... You know what mm-hmm. Baphomet might be? Mm-hmm. Not everything, but a representation of what we're all making. Or the way we make it. Yeah, like... Yeah, the process of... Uh, process theology. Yeah. The yeah. process, and also, like I said, the project. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I kind of want to... I want to wind it up yeah. um, on this beautiful quote. It's this, this beautiful quote about God and the struggle. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Yeah. God's power enters our life through human acts of love, kindness, courage, and solidarity. I suggested that God is our power in the struggle for mutuality, right mutual relation, in the smallest and largest arenas of our life together. God is not over the struggle, nor even leading the struggle. God is in the struggle as the power of the struggle itself, so fully that God is the struggle for right mutual relation, and God is the power in and of mutuality. And that's from a, that's a quote from Carter Hayward. Yeah, I mean, just change God to Satan in there, and I'm, I'm right on board. Or... You know, Baphomet, as we were just talking yeah. about, you know. Or Lilith. Yeah, but, like, yeah. as we were articulating, yeah. does Baphomet symbolize um, yeah. what we are creating together or the process of yes. creating it? Well, I mean, in exactly. which case, the struggle. Yeah. Yeah, no, precisely. Um, do we have a uh, backwards satanic message? Backwards satanic message. Gosh, it's been such a long time since we did one of these that we've, uh, let's see. I have one right okay, here. Okay, yeah, go for it. Hey, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, um, wow. Thank you for, uh, recording this with me. Thank you, Ben. And, um, thank you, uh, Dr... Hugo Cordova Cuero for listening to this whole thing. Yes. And thank you to all of our listeners in the church and Ouch. at large yeah. who um, were along for this ride. I hope that we made sense. And that you enjoyed it. And learned something about um, yeah. 
Tongji theology and Neo Boon Lin, very cool theologian. Yeah, worth reading. Yeah. Uh, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Bye. Bye.